Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Discoveries of black holes are always exciting and we find out what more LIGO has found out. LIGO has made some incredible discoveries in its very short lifetime so far, but it has discovered another pair of colliding black holes. We find out what this means, not only for gravitational waves, but the rest of stellar studies. And we find out about some interesting models of the formation of black holes and a new neutron star observatory. When two of the largest and most dangerous bodies in our universe collide, The end result is something that is felt through the fabric of space and time. Now, I'm not being hyperbolic or reading from a science fiction script here. I'm rather talking about the recent results published after the hard work of the thousands of scientists involved in the LIGO Observatory mission, which have discovered, for the third time, evidence of gravitational waves rippling after the collision of two massive black holes. Now, we've talked about LIGO not once but twice here on this podcast. We've even spoken with scientists who are part of that collaborative group of thousands of LIGO scientists across the world. But just as a quick recap, LIGO is basically two large observatories separated by 3,000 kilometres, one in the foresty areas of Washington State near Seattle, the other all the way down in the swampy bayou of Louisiana. And these two long tunnels are measuring very precisely the positions of these big long beams and when there's any interference at all any they can model them and pair them together and they use this to detect subtle incredibly subtle changes in the fabric of space and time it's also a pretty strange observatory of something for studying the space because it's just really two long tubes encased in concrete buried underground and that's part of what makes it so special. Some parts of it above ground just look like an oil pipeline, other parts are encased in huge concrete vacuum tubes. And the reason why they're doing this is they, they're just trying to observe deviations in a beam inside these tubes. They don't actually need to look out, they're rather looking at what can be inferred by the way in these beams are interrupted, shaken and moved. And once you filter out, using complex mathematics and mechanical engineering, all the noise and vibration from this world, you get what could be interpreted as signals about gravitational waves from the rest of the universe. That's exactly what's been done here in LIGO once again. Now, the first major breakthrough with LIGO came in September 2015, after some major upgrades in a program called Advanced LIGO. And basically, at that point, they detected a huge collision between two giants of black holes. Um, For example, each of the black holes that collided were about 62 solar masses, So that's 62 times bigger than our sun and 366 kilometers in diameter, which is absurd. Now, the actual event happened billions of years ago, but we just picked it up now. And similarly, in later in December 2015, another one, although much smaller in size, about 21 solar masses and 124 kilometers in diameter occurred, which was also picked up by LIGO. And these two results enable them to publish in some landmark papers and studies that they have discovered, well, yes, gravitational waves do exist and they use this data to confirm that which filled in a nice piece of the puzzle for our understanding of how gravity actually transmits the information about the way gravity works the attraction between objects between them and that was a super important finding for understanding the physics of the universe something that we can see on a macro scale but we didn't really understand how it worked 
Now, what has been detected here from the 1st of April this year, 2017, is that around uh, 3 billion light years away, two objects collided with a mass of 49 solar mass, so 49 times larger than the sun, and created a massive 289 kilometers in diameter. So these are, again, huge objects from both a mass point and a universal point. So again, these huge collisions between black holes enable them to once again confirm with a third result now in gravitational waves existence, which is incredibly important. Now we have three data points, which is a very good way of saying that we've validated through experimental proof the concept of gravitational waves. But this time, this collision and detection by LIGO tells us something more than just, yay, gravitational waves exist. We've known about the formation of black holes and the fact that they can sometimes occur in groups. We've seen collisions between black holes now three times. Now, before we turned on LIGO, we didn't even know that this could happen, but now we've seen it a few times. We now know what to look for. And we weren't entirely sure when black holes form, how we end up with this bizarre circumstance that they might collapse. Now, one theory was putting forward that, well, when you have a star that goes over and collapses in on itself to become a black hole, and if that star is in a binary system, both stars might do that collapsing at the same time, considering they're probably born relatively close to each other, or maybe one triggers the other. In any case, when that occurs, you sort of end up with these two black holes then, in the place of two binary stars. So two stars were once engaged in a circular dance around each other, like ice skaters, in a nice, stable way. When they both collapse to become black holes, they sort of maintain that. But instead, what we found with these collisions is that stars in a cluster or a group, when this happens and some of them turn into black holes, they may not all happen at the same time, and then their orbits decay in a very random, and this cluster, and they sort of aggregate up together, resulting in a collision. And the evidence now seems to be pointing towards the latter case there, which makes a certain amount of sense, at least based on the samples that we've seen, which still, it should be said, is only three examples of potentially billions of them in the universe. So let's hold our breath there. But it's probably the best model to be working with for now anyway, which means that in examples where stars and form into black holes in these large stellar clusters, what we end up with is basically them sort of aligning themselves and sinking up together before obviously then colliding at the end. And this sort of spiral makes sense. They sort of sink to the center of this stellar cluster and collapse in upon themselves, which is kind of poetic, but terrifying to think about. So the latest results from LIGO and the thousands of scientists across the world working together to analyze this data goes and proven that Einstein was right about the existence of gravitational waves and black holes can behave very interestingly. LIGO isn't the only one studying black holes. NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory and the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, the SDSS, have been studying black holes and gathering data from some of the earliest parts of the universe's history. Just a reminder, we look at the early history of the universe by looking at the furthest parts away from us, and since light only travels, and information therefore, at the speed of light, things from very, very long ago are only now just reaching us. And that enables us by peering at the edges, to actually peer back into time, so to speak. 
or rather, these things have already happened, we're just only here about it now. And that's what these astronomers have been doing. And astronomers have known that the Big Bang occurred around 13.8 billion years ago, and evidence from SDSS suggests that there are some supermassive black holes that are billions of times that of the Sun that existed about 12.8 billion years ago. So that only leaves a 1 billion year window for these supermassive black holes to develop. So a group of researchers, including Edwige Pizzulli from the University of Rome, Maria Orfino, PhD student from Scuola Normale Spirori in Italy, Simone Gallerana, Tullis Barto, and Raffaella Schneider, who are also working from various universities across Italy, including Bjork University in Milan and Sapienza University. And they've all have been studying together on a massive collaboration to model what's going on with these black holes at the foundation of the universe. And the problem is, when you think about it, a black hole needs to feed. It needs to eat. To get to a super large size, it needs to start from somewhere. And a window of only around 1 billion years doesn't give them very long time to grow. So to understand this and to validate the results that they were seeing from the telescopes, they built a model which assumed about a third of the black holes were actively consuming material and growing around 13 billion years ago. And then now, about 200 million years ago, only about 3% of them were actually actively eating. So obviously there's some window where there was a rapid expansion when food was readily available, so to speak, on a stellar sense. And now, once things have spaced out and normalised a bit, then there's less amounts for these black holes to consume and therefore grow. And to test and validate this hypothesis, they built a, comp a very elaborate computer model that was then fed off the results from the two space telescopes, Chandra and the SDSS. And using this, it sort of explains how, with a reasonable theory, about how this might work. So effectively, they tested a variety of different hypotheses to see which one best fit the model. But the one that seems to work best is that there are these light, tiny black hole seeds that were the remnants of the first massive stars, and they were formed only a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. These collapsed early and chowed down on all the surrounding material, rapidly expanding and eating up all the material around them in the early stages of the universe. And the later black holes obviously don't have as much readily available, so they don't consume anywhere near the same rate. Well, this explains why we've ended up with so many supermassive black holes, because there was so much food readily available in that early period of the universe. So this is some great research being done by an all-female university research team out of Italy to shed some more light on what's happening with black holes. these large stars die, they don't have to collapse in on themselves to form supermassive block holes. They could instead form neutron stars, these incredibly dense, very, very cold, for a star that is, rapidly rotating spheres. They're, they're basically like a failed black hole or just the leftovers of a star. And now, 50 years after the first discovery by astrophysicist Jocelyn Bell of neutron stars, NASA is going to launch the first mission to actually detect and study intense little stellar objects. It's going to be called NICER, the Neutron Star Interior Composition Explorer. It'll be launched aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket and one of its cargo missions to the International Space Station. 
So this is going to be a pretty cool launch, as well as a brand new instrument to be launched up into space. Now, neutron stars were first postulated in 1939, and it wasn't until 1967 that by studying some very strange movements and observations of pulsing on and off, that Jocelyn Bell was actually able to isolate and identify the existence of these neutron stars. For example, they're about, sometimes, about 1.4 times the content of the sun, or around 460,000 Earths, into the, well, the size of a city, which is an incredible concentration of matter. Just one teaspoon full of matter from a neutron star could weigh a billion tons, if it ever was on Earth. And we don't really know how or why they form. I mean, we've got a theoretical explanation of why they would actually come about, but how this works and how we end up at such incredible forces, we're not really entirely sure. Now, neutron stars emit a huge amount of radiation across the spectrum, but it's most often in these energetic X-ray bands that you can really sort of get an insight into what's happening to them, including some of these really strange phenomena that occur on the surface, like star quakes, thermonuclear explosions, and some of the most powerful magnetic fields known on the cosmos. And all these things are happening because this star itself is so dense and the forces are so high. So over an 18-month mission, NASA will collect X-rays generated from these neutron stars from their tremendously strong magnetic fields and from the hotspots near their magnetic poles. And what actually is quite amazing are these, these hotspots with intense magnetic fields. And these magnetic fields trap any particles around them and basically make it rain down on the surface of the st neutron star, and this generates crazy amounts of X-rays. So it actually makes them useful to find. Similarly, pulsars, which is a, a type of neutron star, are basically emit flowing beams of particles from the magnetic poles a bit like a lighthouse, and this is what actually Jocelyn Bell actually discovered in the first instance. And we see them as flashes of radiation ranging from seconds to milliseconds, depending on how fast the pulsar rotates. And because it sort of has the same frequency, then it was this concept that enabled Jocelyn Bell to actually discover them in the first place. Now, since these pulsations are predictable, there's the idea to actually make a galactic GPS using these X-ray pulses from pulsars. And that's a concept that NASA is trying to explore. And this regularly pulsed positioning system, effectively, could form what NASA is calling the Station Explorer for X-ray Timing and Navigation Technology, or Sextant. And they're going to use NASA as a proving ground to sort of test the ideas of a network, much like a GPS, that could be used by probes or any other space travelers to autonomously locate themselves in the universe based on information about these pulses and that would be truly amazingly useful <laughs> for anyone who's in undertaking interstellar travel there's even some ideas perhaps to use x-ray navigation and these pulsars as perhaps the backbone of some kind of communications network a galactic internet which would be very very useful for interstellar travel and communications and that it's a project at nasa called goddard's modulated x-ray source or mmx and it's part of a larger project called to develop an X-ray-based communication systems, or XCOM. And this is obviously years away from happening. But this probe, NISA, will be the first in a long line of investigation into what we can use X-rays and pulsars and these amazing little neutron stars as beacons in our stellar navigation world. 
This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From colliding black holes being detected by LIGO to the formation of black holes in the early stages of the universe, we also found out about a way to study pulsars and neutron stars and use them to build a stellar GPS. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.